0: Hello and welcome to Special Issue, Wiley's podcast for societies about all things scholarly publishing. I'm Steffi Nightingale. In this episode, we'll hear about effective board governance from Richard LeBlanc, a professor of governance, law and ethics at York University in Canada. As an expert that has a wealth of experience in board governance, has won awards for his work, and who has published a handbook on board governance with Wiley, there isn't a more knowledgeable person that we can ask for advice about leading a not-for-profit board today we are going to hear professor leblanc's top tips and insights on risk governance and minimizing liability for -for not-for-profit boards let's hear from him now
1: so risk governance i just want to say a few things here is risks are changing we have privacy ransomware attack and this is all not-for-profit reputation social media succession risk business model changes, ESG, the path to net zero, regulatory, all of these are changing. Now, the question I get from not-for-profit directors is, well, Professor LeBlanc, how can we be held responsible for risk if we don't have control over operations? Well, here's how, is you should have a risk appetite framework. That's three things. Number one, staff should have all 10 or 12 risks for you. They should define those risks quantitatively and qualitatively. This is called the risk appetite framework. Don't worry about the the word appetite. It's what are the risks? And that should be presented by staff to the board. Number two, what are the internal controls to mitigate each of those risks? Every risk can be controlled. Management does not like internal controls. They want freedom. Regulators are holding boards responsible. You should have a line of sight to the internal controls. So for each of those 10 risks, ransomware, for example, what are the internal controls? I can tell you there's 20 or 30 internal controls over ransomware uh, uh, from from personal and professional hygiene to working from home, to uh, uh, desegmenting networks, to the use of passwords, all of these mitigate uh, uh, cyber security risk. So what are the internal controls? That's number two, number one, what are the risks? Number two, what are the internal controls for each risk? Number three is independent assurance that the controls are working. So that's how you as a, as a board get comfort that you're overseeing risk appropriately. Number one, what, is the, what are the risks for this organization? Number two, what are the internal controls for each risk? And number three, independent assurance that the controls are working. The only people inside an organization that can give a board independent assurance is three people. The risk function, the compliance function, or the internal audit function. Now you can tell me we're a small not-for-profit, we don't have these functions, start somewhere. Start with a compliance function or a risk function. If you're over 300 employees, you probably should have uh, an internal audit function as well. Risk compliance and internal audit will report around management to the board on the status of the internal controls. So that is mature risk governance and if you don't have that it's okay governance and risk governance is baby steps this takes sometimes years but start the process don't not do anything because if you don't and something goes wrong and and your name is in the paper and the questions are going to be asked by experts such as myself and others is what did you do about risk most governance failure stems from risk failure so that's a, a, a short best practice segment on proper risk governance lastly is uh, uh information flow to the board uh quantity quality timeliness source and format that's your lifeblood you control as a board the information particularly the board and committee chairs layering is Layer one is what are you asking? And I'm now talking to staff. What are you asking the board to do? Uh, Review, recommend. So, a one page summary. Let the board into your issue. Then, seven pages after that. Don't sugarcoat. Don't cherry pick. Think like a director. Tell the board about this issue. What did you reject and why? What did you reject and why? Tell the board what is going on in your head. Don't give a one-sided opinion, and then 15 pages to support the seven pages. And I'm now talking to staff out there. If you think one or more of your directors are micromanaging, be very careful not to give them management or operational material in the, in the 15 pages. Give them strategic material. Role of board and committee chairs in setting the agenda, setting the information flow and pre-vetting that information flow. And be careful, with, I'm now talking to staff, be very objective when you bring information to the board. Tell them what you're at, tell the board what you're actually, or the committee, what you're actually thinking. The movement now is not to PowerPoint decks. It is to narratives. Narratives by the, by the relevant staff that are replacing slides. Just because you have a PowerPoint, you cannot give a board of directors a 60-page PowerPoint deck. Okay, that's not wise use of a director's time. Give them a a narrative on what the issues are. Okay, lastly, and this is unfortunate, but some of you want legal uh, uh, pointers. uh, And I put this in many of my presentations, which is how to protect yourself legally, because there are always a group of lawyers out there, unfortunately, and this tends to happen in the United States, although it's happening more and more in the UK and Europe, is how do you protect yourself? Number one, duty of care. Your duty of care is to act as a reasonably prudent person would act in similar circumstances. You should be devoting 250 hours a year to your directorship. Now you can tell me I don't do that, that's fine. The surveys are indicating that the average not-for-profit directorship is 250 hours. This is all in. It includes preparation for meetings, it includes travel, it includes debriefing, uh, meeting time, uh, committee work, you can be scrutinized by a court or a judge on the process that you took to arrive at a decision. So watch engagement, distraction, and focus. The business judgment rule insulates you if you have a proper process. So document your process, including good minutes as well. A minute should not be a transcript, but they shouldn't be one or two pages, they should be right in the middle to capture the debate that occurred at the boardroom table. So drafting minutes are are important as well. Be very careful when it comes to conflicts of interest. Most of the litigation around not for profits center around conflicts of interest that directors or officers have. And I've been an expert witness. In fact, I've got two cases right now that are not-for-profit conflict of interest. So have a conflict of interest policy and recuse yourself. If you think you have a conflict or your family members or an affiliate of yours, you probably have a conflict. You cannot get into trouble for disclosing the conflict. You can get into trouble for not managing it properly. So disclose and manage. And then I get questions, I have a conflict, can I vote? You cannot vote. If you have a perceived conflict of interest, you recuse yourself from the virtual room, you let your colleagues discuss it, and then you come back into the room after the matter is decided what is a conflict of interest it is a personal interest that you may have or your friend uh, uh, or, or a family member may have by virtue of your position on the board or an affiliate of yours affiliate means a, an entity that you might have an ownership interest in uh, of that nature so you got to be really clear because courts give not-for-profit boards broad latitude to police their own conflicts and where you get into trouble is when one director is conflict seeking and and by conflict seeking I mean what's in it for me they can't differentiate the fiduciary duty to sit on a board is the best interest of the not-for-profit organization it's not their personal interest that type of director is dangerous because they 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 just don't think like a normal director, which is I I have to leave my affairs outside of this boardroom, that'll get you into trouble because it's joint and several liability. So you're all accountable for each other. So have a good conflict of interest policy, have a conflict of interest policy that is robust. The standard is objective. No one cares what you think as a director, whether you're conflicted or not. I mean, people do care, but the test is what does a reasonable person think? How does this look externally? Complete your disclosure of your uh, affairs that could come into conflict with the organization once a year and send that to the audit committee. Declare the conflict and recuse yourself. Whistleblowing if a conflict is not declared. I'm seeing that more and more now. And then lastly is, these are things you should pay attention to. Director and officer insurance. What will happen to us, to the board, and to the organization if something goes wrong? What's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, Death, property destruction, and how are we as a board protected? How is the entity protected? That should be reviewed once a year, very important. Get training on financial literacy. And I'm now talking, and I use myself as an example. I took an MBA 25 years ago. I'm not financially literate. I mean, I'm an expert in governance, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not a fina- i don't belong on an audit committee. So if you're on a board of directors, acquire financial literacy. 20 or 30 hours of study on basic uh, a, a balance sheet, a statement of cash flows, and income statement. This can all be uh, trainable. Financial literacy is trainable, and it's the language of business. Prepare and ask effective questions. A good question is a strategic question. Have in-camera sessions without staff present, very important. Use board committees to review and recommend. The only person, uh, group that makes the decision is the board. Committees are where the work gets done. They review and recommend. Never approve what you do not understand as a director. And if you're a not-for-profit director, and most of you are, insist to see employee wage and tax remittances, particularly during COVID, where some not-for-profits are experiencing Uh, stressful uh, financial distress under disruption as risks change do not delay acting prudently okay so your duty of care is commensurate with the change that is happening and i don't mean by the way to overemphasize legal and and to scare anybody but i just want to want to give you pointers of how to protect yourself and your assets as well
0: thanks to professor leblanc for covering a lot of really useful information there One of my key takeaways is that boards need to start somewhere. It's important to have policies on conflict of interest, which make sure that any conflicts of interest are disclosed and managed appropriately. Boards should also have processes that show how you manage risk and proper documentation of your decision-making procedures. If you can show that you have robust processes for managing risk and responsibilities, then you're off to a good start that's it for this episode thanks for listening and i hope you'll join us next time for wiley i'm Steffi nightingale and you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing on itunes or wherever you like to listen you can get more news and information on society publishing from wiley on twitter by following us at, at wiley and research and on our website wiley.com slash network society leaders our theme music was produced by Medine, and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.